Chapter 41 of Dead Men's Shoes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Judy Mason. Dead Men's Shoes by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter 42 A Father's Claim. Alexis scarcely knows what he is doing during that scamper back to Chesil Grange. Titmouse, inspired by the knowledge that she is going home to her stable and two o'clock feed, throws her shoulders forward and sends out her feet, trotting as if for a wager. Take off her bridle and give her some corn, says Alexis to the groom who receives him. I shall want her again in ten minutes. He goes to the library, unlocks a despatch box, and takes out an oblong velvet case containing his wife's portrait, a picture taken by a famous photographer during their bright Parisian honeymoon, the portrait of a girl bride, lovely, elegantly dressed, smiling at the unknown future, and unconscious that these happy, idle honeymoon hours were eating up the capital that should have served to start husband and wife in the business of life. It is a photograph of Sybil at her best, before secret cares and hypocrisies had wrought their lines on her fair young face. Alexis contemplates the picture regretfully for a few moments before he puts it back in his pocket. Yes, she was very lovely then, he tells himself, and there is nothing in this face that bespeaks a heart capable of treachery or deceit. It was poverty's bitter school that spoiled her. Some noble spirits grow strong by treading the rough ways of life. Hers was too weak to survive the ordeal of misfortune. Poor child, she must have suffered. He is on Titmouse again, and returning to Dorley in a few minutes, very much against the mare's inclination, she indulges in a stubborn crawl, or, being touched up with a whip, jogs and jolts her rider in an irregular trot, expressive of supreme ill-temper. Urged out of this, she sets off in a furious canter, as if to inform him that she has some go left in her yet, in spite of ill-usage, and may contrive to pitch him over her head if he is too aggravating. These devices finally bring Alexis to Dorley, where he finds Linda and Trot in the front garden, evidently on the watch for him. "'I'm so glad you've returned,' cries Linda. "'You've made me quite miserable.' "'Forgive me, dear Miss Chalice, but if you knew what hopes that one little word Redcastle has raised in my mind. See here,' he takes the case from his pocket and shows her Sybil's photograph, does that face remind you of any face you have ever seen before? Yes, she answers, pale to the lips, but without an instant's hesitation. It is the portrait of Trot's mother. She was not so beautiful as that. She was thin and worn and haggard, but I should recognize the eyes and mouth anywhere. It is she. This is the portrait of my wife, Linda. And Trot, the helpless baby you adopted in order to save him from the hazard of his mother's distraction or despair, is my son. You told me your son was dead. I was taught to believe so. My wife, for some mysterious reason, told me that cruel lie. She was ashamed, 
perhaps of having abandoned our child to the care of another and feared to tell me the truth are you sure falters linda you're not deceiving yourself and me if you are sure that that picture is the portrait of trot's mother there can be no doubt that trot is my son and you will take him away from me says linda piteously just when he has grown most dear after all i have suffered all i have borne patiently for his sake i am to lose him that is hard if you knew how i have pined for a son linda what daydreams i have woven about my little one's image how bitter a grief i felt when i was told that wicked lie about his death you'd understand my rapture at finding him my eagerness to claim him for my own my darling my hope my precious care heir to the fortune that providence has dropped into my lap poorly deserved on my part heaven knows he shall be better worthy of it yes murmurs linda faintly i can understand it's only natural he's your son your rights are sacred and you have suffered for his sake linda your generosity has been rewarded by the world's injustice but i can set all right i shall claim him for my own and every one round about chesled and dorley shall know all his story yes i'll not blush to tell the whole bitter truth how my wife left me in poverty and how my son was born in a working-house they're standing in the parlour trot watching their excited countenances with wonder depicted upon his own you have a right to take him away says linda sadly but i think he will take all the sunshine out of our lives with him my grandfather is almost as fond of him as i am i am not going to dissever old links linda he shall come often to see you he shall be taught to know you as the guardian angel of his infancy he shall always remember his first home yes but it will be his home no longer replies linda with a sigh alexis is silent he feels that he must seem a wretch a destroyer entering this happy household only to ruin its joy but how can he forego his claim how can he relinquish the delight of watching his son's infancy develop into boyhood guiding the baby mind making the boy at once pupil and plaything source of all his pleasures in the present and all his hopes in the future at this juncture trot who has listened intently arrives at the comprehension that he has a personal interest in the conversation he catches at the idea that he is to be taken away transferred from mammy to the gentleman and he suddenly bursts in upon the conversation with a dismal howl me won't be took away me stay with mammy cries the boy and he clambers up into linda's arms and clings there as if resolved to resist any attempt at dislodging him what trot cries alexis smiling at the little one's excitement won't you come and live with me and have a dear little shetland pony to ride and a big garden to play in and a rocking horse and a lots of plum cakes and picture books here alexis's knowledge of juvenile weaknesses fails him and he knows not what further temptation to offer me won't have pony me not want her garden me got nice big garden me want mammy cries trot and he clings still tighter to linda trot shall i tell you a secret es 
says Trot, who thinks that a secret must needs be something worth hearing. You must come and live with me, Trot, my darling. God meant you and me to live together. I'm your father. No, you are not, screams the boy. You're the gentleman with the broken arm. Me never have no father. And you won't come to live at the Grange? Such a large garden, six times as big as the garden here, and a Shetland pony with a long tail. Me won't, cries Trot emphatically. Father de pony. Well, Trot has decided, Miss Chalice, says Alexis gravely. If I were ungrateful enough, selfish enough to wish to take him from you, his childish heart is true and fast. He shall stay with you, since you wish it, for the next few years at any rate. This shall be his home, and he shall come to Cheseld only as a visitor. You will let me have him sometimes? Let you have him? Oh, Mr. Secretan, are you not too generous in consenting to leave him with me? I should be an ungrateful hound if I could refuse. You've made my son's infancy bright and happy. You've saved him from the evils of poverty, from his mother's selfishness. How can I be grateful enough to you? Only let me keep my darling a little longer, and I am more than recompensed. I must be proud and happy, too, when I have recovered a little from this surprise, to know that he is your son, that his future will be bright and prosperous, his worldly position honourable, to think that my little waif and stray should be the future squire of Cheseld. My grandfather will be so pleased. It is a triumph for me over him, dear old man, for he said that I was very foolish to adopt a nameless child, and now my dearest has name and fortune, home and father. We will make a good man of him between us, Miss Chalice, says Alexis, more elated by this discovery than he was by the inheritance of Miss Secretan's estate. He has no doubt as to Trot's identity. There seems to him no room for doubt, yet he is anxious to make things as certain as possible, to secure independent evidence in case his claim to his son should ever be disputed. He goes back to the Grange only to get a fresh horse and then rides into the quiet old cathedral town to talk the matter over with Mr. Scrodgers. He does not consider the provincial solicitor a Mansfield or a Cockburn, but Mr. Scrodgers is the best legal intellect available on the spot, and to Mr. Scrodgers he goes. The family solicitor listens to all Alexis has to tell with the gravity of a learned owl that has lived a century or so in the same ivy bush. He contracts his eyebrows, he purses up his lips, and looks as if he had known the whole story before, but for some wise reason he had kept his knowledge to himself. Oh, a curious case, Mr. Secretan, he says at last. A very curious case. It's lucky your estate is not entailed. Why so? Well, there might be difficulties in the way of succession. It might not be easy to identify this infant, born in such a very irregular manner, as your son and heir. There might be suspicions. The heir at law might file a bill in chancery. I should consider it a very hazardous business were your estate entailed. But you, as an independent man, fettered by no entail, may leave your real property to Tom, Dick, or Harry. I should recommend you to take this infant into your house at once. Let him bear your name. Let him be recognized by all your acquaintances as your son. Yes, I shall take care of that. I shall tell everybody, but 
there's a difficulty about bringing him into my house the lady who brought him up who rescued him from i know not what misery has a claim upon his affection the strongest and as strong a claim on my gratitude to take him away from her would be almost to break her heart almost not quite there's a long distance between the two adverbs replies the cynical scrodgers most women have their hearts almost broken once in their lives give her a new bonnet you do not know the lady sir she is not a woman to be solaced by a new bonnet hasn't she a head asked mr scrodgers i never knew a woman with a head that a bonnet wouldn't pacify half the cases at the assizes in which the female is a plaintiff might be settled out of court if the defendant knew when and how to offer the solatium of a bonnet i see mr scrodgers you are a bachelor and a misogynist says alexis smilingly no sir replies the lawyer i am a misogynist and a married man well the first thing i have to do is alter my will says alexis returning to the business question decidedly if you are convinced that this infant herein before named is your son you had better make a will in his favour prepare one as fast as you can mr scrodgers leaving the bequest to my good friend plowden just as it stands you must have trustees in case of your dying before the child attains his majority make plowden trustee you should have a second in the event of mr plowden's death how you lawyers remind us of our mortality well make miss chalice the second trustee and guardian of the boy in case of my death nobody will ever love him better than she does and in the event of her marriage marriage would make no difference to her she would always love my boy mr scrodgers relieves his doubtful mind by a faint smile his idea of marriage is that it makes a very great difference to his legal mind marriage transforms a man even the will he made as a bachelor is no longer valid proving that in the eye of the law the married man and the bachelor are two distinct personages then you would recommend me to get together all the evidence i can bearing upon my boy's birth says alexander i think it would be wise to do so the fact of your parentage may never be disputed you can dispose of the chesled estate as you choose but still it might be well to have all the necessary documents an attested copy of your marriage certificate and so on yes i was a reckless fellow when i married heaven knows what became of the certificate my wife may have kept it certainly i didn't take any care of it the parson had made her my wife that was all i thought about on that bewildering day then you had better get a copy of the register without delay yes and i will go to the woman with whom my wife and i lodged she will remember that my wife was expecting to become a mother when she left me if that woman is to be found i will get from her a written declaration of that fact it would be as well to do so says mr scrodgers approvingly and alexis leaves him to prepare the new will which he is to bring to the grange early the next morning stay says the lawyer on the threshold you haven't told me the infant's christian name he was christened william no other name i believe not but you can fill in the names to-morrow i will ask that question in the meantime alexis goes back to chesel pondering on the lawyer's advice about his son mr scrodgers has distinctly said 
that it is for the child's welfare for the security of his future position that he should be domiciled with his father and alexis longs to have the little one under the same roof with him to see him daily hourly to watch over him sleeping and waking to make him his plaything and companion against this natural desire there is the promise he has made to linda chalice the debt of gratitude he owes her hard to break that promise hard to ignore that debt end of chapter forty one